You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter, alongside David. And David, we've got a guest coming in today. Should be a fun time. We've got a pretty interesting topic in baseball. Hall of Fame, I'm excited for that uh, as we jump into that. Any initial thoughts here before you jump into the podcast, David? Well, we didn't talk about it last week, but of course the uh, the results coming out of the Hall of Fame ballot. We'll dive into them a lot deeper, a lot deeper. when our guest comes on. But Big Poppy earning, uh, earning election in his first time on the ballot. So congratulations to him. Uh, a couple of Wisconsin connections for, for Big Poppy. He played for the Timber Rattlers for one year. Uh, there was a, a big event where he beat Griffey and A-Rod in a home run derby in Appleton. When they were on the Mariners, they came over to Appleton to visit. Ortiz met his wife uh, in Appleton, so she's actually from Kaukana. He lived in uh, the Green Bay area for a few off seasons. He's a Packer fan. So a lot, a lot of Wisconsin connections for Big Poppy, uh, even though he's more, more known, more synonymous with the Boston area. Yeah, I didn't know about the Packer, the Packer uh, fan. That's an interesting one. Tough. Maybe he's not uh, making that known at the moment for obvious reasons, but I was not aware of that. So that's a, a new one. I didn't realize the connections to Wisconsin. Of course, like you said, Ortiz being the only one elected, and certainly we will break that down as far as his election, who David and I both feel should be recognized in the hall eventually. Um, and more, like I said, we'll be bringing out, I guess, shortly. But before we get into that, Today's trivia question, David, what player amassed 219 hits over a single season and holds the Brewers record for most hits in a season? So that, as always, that answer will be at the end of the podcast. David, let's jump right into our random player of the day. Who we got today? Today we've got a more recent member of the Brewers, uh, mid-2000s, Bill Hall, somebody who was on that team in 2008 when they uh, won the wild card. He, in total, played eight years with the Brewers, 11 years overall across a few different teams, but most of his career coming with the Brewers, hit 253, 312 on base percentage, slugged 446, hit 102 home runs, and one of those 102 home runs was that memorable walk-off home run on Mother's Day, which came in 2006, probably his best moment as a Brewer. He was a, a solid utility guy and really had one year that stands out Above the rest, 2006, when he hit 270 with 35 home runs and 85 RBIs. Uh, the Brewers were starting to put the pieces together. Prince Fielder was a rookie that year. Ricky Weeks had come up the year before. Braun was on the cusp of the majors, not quite there yet. They had Hardy at short. And Bill Hall had a, an outstanding year. That was his, his, his career year. Signed a big extension after that and was still a nice role player for the team after that and was let go during the 2009 season when he went to Seattle. Yeah, certainly known as a brewer. And like you said, that Mother's Day home run, he really did have a solid career. Uh, was kind of, a, I guess, a fun player to watch in his time in a, in a couple of years where the Brewers didn't have the stars that they necessarily have now both on the field um, and on the, on the mound as well. But certainly a recognizable name uh, to any Brewer fan, Bill Hall, our random player of the day today. Uh, sort of another random player of the day that uh, we may have even covered previously on an episode is Jim Henderson. Uh, Big Jim, as uh, I'm not sure if anyone called him, but Big Jim added to the coaching staff as a bullpen coach 
his uh, ties to the Brewers continue. And Matt Erickson also uh, added as an assistant hitting coach and infield coach. Certainly my recollection and knowledge of Matt Erickson begins and ends at Brewers on Deck as about the only minor league manager who uh, regularly or ever attended Brewers on Deck and signed autographs. So I think I've got about 12 uh, signed photos of Matt Erickson. If anybody's looking, just uh, let me know. That's about my knowledge of, of Matt Erickson. Anything else to add on the additions to Big Jim and Matt Erickson? Well, Henderson has spent the last couple of years as a pitching coach in the organization. Last year, he was the pitching coach at AAA Nashville. Uh, he, I think he, we did cover him at one point as a random player of the day. Had a couple of years where he was a solid reliever with the crew. He's about 40 years old now, and the Brewers like him a lot. He's got familiarity with a lot of the pitchers in the organization. This comes after Steve Carsey stepped down from his, uh, his role as bullpen coach and cited some, uh, some family reasons for his resign. Uh, Matt Erickson has been the Timber Rattlers manager for a long time, I think. I think about 12 years. He did play for the Brewers in 2004, and he's a Wisconsin native. So uh, you can tell that he, uh, he's he got the, the, local, um, the local roots uh, coming in, and, and certainly a guy that's very familiar with the organization. Everyone who's come up through the Brewers uh, minor league system has played under Matt Erickson at one point. Uh, so having him as a, an assistant hitting coach and infield coach uh, certainly brings some familiarity with the team, with the players, and is someone that the players potentially uh, enjoy working with and have some experience with prior. Yeah, like you said, definitely brings some familiarity, and, and I'm glad for him, uh, all joking aside, of course, of him 12 years as a minor league manager to finally get that promotion to be on the staff on the major league level coaching for the Brewers. Uh, that is obviously a tremendous honor. So I am happy to see that success for him. I would imagine he probably also wanted to stay in the Brewers organization or else he probably would have taken a role elsewhere, um, given, like you said, that long tenure in AAA. But good to see the promotion from Erickson. Uh, again, he'll be the new assistant hitting coach and infield coach. A couple of other familiar names in the news. Brewers hiring Ricky Weeks and Pedro Alvarez as player development assistants. Of course, Ricky Weeks being that uh, first-round draft pick by the Brewers. Uh, spent the majority of his career here in Milwaukee. And then Pedro Alvarez, uh, a familiar name across the NL Central over in Pittsburgh. I believe he's, he has some relation to Pat Murphy uh, as far as family. Is that correct? Yeah, he, he actually is married to Pat Murphy's daughter. So he is Murphy's son-in-law. Um, I'm, I'm just hoping Pedro Alvarez isn't tasked with teaching first base defense uh, as far as the player development. Um, I'm not sure what their roles will be exactly. My guess is some kind of part-time roles where they travel through the through the affiliates, maybe come put a uniform on and uh, do some coaching at spring training. It's pretty common with former players, uh, but interesting to see these uh, kind of recent names uh, re-entering the fold in the Brewers organization. Yeah, it doesn't feel like long that we were at spring training. You remember Ricky Weeks Jr., uh, D-backs, I believe, if you recall us uh, going back to a spring training game, Brewers, I believe, were facing the D-backs and uh, Ricky Weeks, part of that uh, spring training team, I remember uh, watching him play, trying to get his autograph after the game. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? That is correct. And uh, you're probably confusing people by calling him Ricky Weeks Jr. I don't know if he still officially goes by Ricky Weeks Jr. or not. I know late in his career, he requested that people call him that because that is officially his name. Uh, but he was just known as Ricky Weeks for all those years with the Brewers. 
Um, and I, I do remember he had, I think his kid there and he, he didn't, he didn't want to sign autographs. He was holding, uh, as a young, young toddler. And that was the year that the, uh, the D-backs had their, their pants that were dipped in blood at the bottom. If you remember that, the, uh, the ugly red, uh, at the bottom of the pants. Yeah, no, that's right. I do remember that. And I was a little bit bummed. I don't think we ever got, I mean, Ricky Weeks was a little bit before our time as far as autographs collecting and uh, going to games, trying to get his autograph. We never did get Ricky Weeks. So I remember being bummed even at that point when we knew he was kind of past his prime. But in his defense, like you said, he was holding his kids. I remember he was trying to get out of the ballpark. So uh, respect to, to him again, Ricky Weeks and Pedro Alvarez, the newest additions as player development assistants for the Brewers. Finally, another addition off the field for the Brewers, new uh, TV and radio, uh, primarily radio broadcaster Josh Moore brought into the fold um, kind of some shuffling across the Brewers radio and TV. Brian Anderson reducing uh, his number of games on TV, which increases uh, Levering's role uh, with the with the team. Um, I also saw that Matt LaPay is continuing to take more time away uh, with the Badgers. So kind of left a void with the radio team. Again, that includes Bob Uecker, uh, Josh, Josh, excuse me, Jeff Levering, um, and so Brewers adding Josh Marr to the radio team briefly with the AAA Boston Red Sox. Any additional thoughts that you have on this uh, recent Brewers edition? Well, he actually was radio partners with Jeff Levering back in 2014 before the Brewers hired him. Uh, they worked together in the, the Red Sox minor league system. He was thrilled to, to be joining the Brewers, uh, of course, working with Euchre, even if he may not call any games with him, just uh, being able to be on the same team as him certainly has its appeal as uh, one of the greatest radio announcers of all time. Of course, one of the great personalities in baseball in Euchre. Um, but Moore spent some time calling games for uh, the Red Sox organization, spent some time with uh, some of the college teams in the ACC, and actually called the baseball games for the Boston College baseball program, meaning he presumably was uh, watching Sal Fralick play all of his games at Boston College last year, the Brewers' first-round pick in last year's uh, first-year player draft. So a little bit of familiarity with Freilich. Um, and certainly, we, we, we know we haven't heard more as a, a broadcaster. I personally wasn't a big fan of Matt LaPay, but, uh, but adding more into the, into the fold, uh, certainly a nice addition and allowing Levering to do more TV. I, even though I do love Brian Anderson, I think he's one of the best. I do also enjoy... Jeff Levering doing uh, some TV filling in for Brian Anderson. No question about Anderson. He he is one of the best in the business. I, I, the Brewers uh, Brewers fans are spoiled to have the combination of of Bob Uecker doing radio broadcasts and Brian Anderson on the TV. Obviously, Anderson um, you can see him across all sorts of sports. I I think of March Madness. Um, when I think of his national broadcast, but he's pulled into basketball games, NBA playoffs. Um, it's a little bit surprising the Brewers have been able to keep him as long as they have. And they've really had a good string of, of good announcers. Of course, Euchre is not really comparable to, to any besides maybe some of the greats, Harry Carey. Um, but besides Euchre, um, they've also had tremendous TV announcers. Of course, Bill Schroeder has been with the Brewers um, over a decade. And like I said, Brian Anderson is excellent as well. So the Brewers have been pretty, pretty lucky to have uh, some really good voices and I guess faces um, in, in baseball broadcasting, both on the radio and TV, and hopefully uh, the Brewers continue to do that. All right, so we've got our guest here, Will Glover. You can find him at Piddle, P-I-D-D-L-E, on TikTok. He is going to join us today. Excited to hear his thoughts. Uh, I hear he's got 
quite the opinion on Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. So uh, as we mentioned earlier, of course, David Ortiz being elected into the hall uh, this year as the lone player elected. But let's just jump right into it. What are your thoughts? Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, do they belong in the Hall of Fame? Well, first off, before we get started, like, David Ortiz 100% deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. So they, they made the right choice there. But leaving Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens out again is, in my opinion, just a disgrace to the sport of the game. Uh, it's Bonds' seven-time MVP, most ever. You got Clemens, seven-time Cy Young winner. Uh, both, both most in the respected categories. Um, I mean, Barry Bonds, member of the 500-500 club, the only one to do it. Every, I mean, the accolades just go on and on with Barry Bonds. And same with Roger Clemens. I mean, he's Roger Clemens has won the Triple Crown in pitching twice, which is unheard of, you know. Um, they, they pretty much saved the game of baseball. When baseball was struggling, um, people, you know, unfortunately started going to steroids. And everyone was doing it, and Barry Bonds and Clemens unfortunately got caught up and being the face of the game, they're going to face the most consequences. Yeah, certainly um, Bonds and Clemens, statistically, we know that they're, they're well above, um, above the line. Do you think, I mean, do you, are you saying do you think that there are some PED users that are already in the hall? Oh, for sure. Um, there's, I mean, David Ortiz, for one. Um, we know of, I mean, we don't really know of others, per se, because they didn't really get caught up in the scandals, but I'm almost positive if you played baseball in the 1990s and early 2000s, you were probably taking steroids at least one time in your career. You think that's, that, that is uh, viewed the same, whether, you know, used it one time or used it over course of seasons obviously with Bonds and Clemens especially Bonds probably the more obvious one uh, it's you're pretty evident that, that during the time period that he he was not on PEDs was obviously an excellent player was on track to be a hall of famer I think everybody agrees uh, without mm-hmm. the PEDs he's already a hall of famer maybe even a first ballot guy uh, but do you think there's any delineation between somebody who maybe used PEDs for a year or two versus Bonds and Clemens who likely used it for a lot longer than that I mean, if you did the deed, you did the deed, in my opinion. It's still it it's 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 unfortunate that players resort to use to using that instead of just going on pure, you know, talent, strength based skill. Um, so it's unfortunate that people resort to it, but I think once you do it, you do it, and you're just like the ones that use it maybe for a little longer than you. Sure. How about how about Sammy Sosa? What do you think about about uh, whether he uh, should be elected. Sosa is, is a tough one because he, he borderlines at where I'd say a normal player would be in terms of Hall of Fame quality uh, without taking steroids. But I would say, it, I mean, the Baseball Hall of Fame is a museum. Uh, Jeff Passan said it best when he said that that's what it's meant for. And you, you cannot talk about the game of baseball without, min- without mentioning the uh, home run race of, uh, I think, 99, right? With uh, Bond or not Bonds with um, uh, McGuire and Sosa, uh, I think that's that's about the time when baseball started picking up viewership again. I mean, people started going to these games uh, just to see Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa face off and keep battling during the home run race, and people started tuning in on television as well to just watch watch those guys play. 
So I, I think um, in order to tell history the right way, baseball's history the right way, I think you do include Sammy Sosa. He's obviously not a first ballot. Um, I also think McGuire should be included in there uh, in, in terms of talking about baseball's history. But, um, do you, yeah. Do you think then that uh, someone like Roger Maris, who he had only about seven, eight good years, won a couple MVPs, and, of course, broke the single-season home run record, but maybe doesn't quite have <laughs> – the, the accomplishments as far as the duration of the career, only about 30 wins above replacement. If it's a museum, do you think someone like that who had the impact he did should be in the hall? It's it's tough to say. I I know I, I did say how it's it's how even though it was just a few seasons, how they changed the game of baseball. Uh, McGuire and Sosa's career go beyond those two seasons, uh, playing 10, 15 plus years in baseball mm -hmm. and uh, being able to be effective in those years as well, racking up statistics. Because obviously you need to have the longevity to be in the Hall of Fame, I think. Um, for instance, let's say Juan Soto retired tomorrow. Obviously not a Hall of Famer, but he did change the way baseball. We, we saw the game of baseball with the way he was able to express himself on the field. And things like that so i think you do need longevity obviously and i think you need to be able to rack up statistics as well as be memorable in changing the game of baseball so then so then i'm, I'm going to assume that you'd be in on on a rod getting into the hall of fame is that correct as well 100 percent. yep uh once again uh unfortunate he did it but um he was someone that i mean you can't talk about the 2004 Yankees Red Sox rivalry without Alex Rodriguez. Uh, you can't talk about that 09 run without a rod. You can't talk about how he broke 600. I mean, he's in the 600 home run club. He's got to be there. He's done his time. He's been punished. Um, and I think once you do your time, I, there's nothing else that, uh, that you can really do. So I think, yeah, you need to be, you need to let him in. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting uh, in some regards. I'd almost, like seeing A-Rod get in over Bonds, just purely the fact that A-Rod, like you said, did he served his time during the during his career? He had that full full season suspension, whereas Bonds really came out completely unscathed. Uh, nothing, you know, ever official for him. So I guess I've never really thought about it that much. But you know, A-Rod did serve his time um, to some degree, whereas Bonds and Clemens and maybe others like Big Poppy or other players from that era maybe didn't necessarily even get penalized at all. Yeah, and I mean, if you really think about it, Clemens and Bonds have done their time now. I mean, just being year after year excluded from the baseball hall when they know, I mean, both those guys know they deserve to be in it. And so just knowing that feeling, I'm sure is definitely a, a pretty bad punishment. For instance, like Pete Rose, um, he, we all know he deserves to be in it, and he's serving his punishment for sure with just uh, the idea that he, he won't be able to make the uh, baseball hall. Yeah, and maybe no, the, I, I, uh, maybe the maybe the last two um, PED names that are on the ballot. Just wanted to quick run over them because they're a little bit different cases than than Bonds or Clemens or or even that of A. Rod or Sosa. But Andy Pettit and Manny Ramirez. Uh, Manny Ramirez. Some people think maybe he was using PEDs as early as high school when he was a draft prospect <laughs> coming through the minors. Um, Andy Pettit is maybe kind of a borderline pitcher. Supposedly, he used HGH one time to recover from an injury, um, but they're, they're guys that aren't maybe surefire Hall of Famers without the PEDs. Uh, do you think that those are guys that should be allowed in the Hall still? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, <clears throat> they definitely need to be given a shot, obviously. Um, Andy Pettit, I need to, you know, look at the stats, but I mean, he's, a, he's already a borderline, obviously not first ballot. Um, but you can't talk about once again, the 80s, 09 season out Pettit and, uh, his postseason run. And, you know, uh, those guys, they did, they did change baseball. Um, I think with the, their accolades, but yeah, I think Pettit's more of a, a borderliner, uh, Manny Ramirez. Once again, go back to 04, um, pretty much helping change that, reigniting that, that Red Sox-Yankees rivalry, which is now all the way up to what we see him as today. Uh, that rivalry is pretty much dying. And once 2004 came and A-Rod and Veritek and Ramirez and all those guys started going at it again, made baseball fun. It made baseball fun to watch. I mean, everyone tuned into the Yankees-Red Sox games that year. And then you go to October and the greatest ALCS of all time, happens and the rest is history so i think yeah i think both those guys definitely need to be given a shot ramirez i would say is a hall of famer um but once again it's opinionative borderline i think i think they both can be they both have great chances of making it if, as long as they're given the chance let's switch gears here another interesting uh topic that comes up especially recently with some of the players that have come onto the ballot what are your view? What's your view on relief pitchers in the Hall of Fame? You know, guys like Billy Wagner, even Joe Nathan. Joe Nathan making his first appearance on the ballot this year and and uh, receiving less than five percent. So essentially, he's now off the ballot already um, after racking up you know significant saves across his career. What's your view on relief pitchers and and your criteria for who should be selected? I it, it's it's tough because we use we like to use <clears throat> wins above replacement and other statistics like that to um to really analyze how a player played in their career but you can't do that with with relievers you know they they hardly see the field but they still have great impact on each game um i think they're both top 10 in what they did in their respective positions um and so for that reason i think you have to include them because a player can't be punished with the position that he's at but he needs to be looked at as hey you're one of the, the greatest to do it at your position and therefore you were able to uh be a role model for those down the road in, in terms of pitching style and just how they they held themselves up and so yeah i think um joe nathan and um billy billy wagner was the other one on on this mm -hmm. ballot yeah they both need to be in in my opinion yeah i'm with you on the on the like you said when you're you know top 10 all time in, in what you do which is close games out and, and i think joe nathan i think that's safe to say that he was he amassed 377 saves which currently places him at number eight um kim Rolfe kind of knocking on the door here but still top 10 all time in saves uh, i think there's a lack of relief pitchers in the hall of fame i'd like to see more players elected k-rod i know will will be uh, on the ballot shortly he 437 saves for him but you know, with seeing the results from Joe Nathan not even getting 5%, I don't feel very optimistic that K-Rod's going to get the respect that he deserves either. So, I don't know. I think it's a, a position that's been left out. We'll see if the Veterans Committee maybe picks up some slack on on uh, the lack of relief pitchers in the Hall of Fame, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame that we get relievers that just don't get any any attention uh, from the Riders Association. And I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm just use this example. Let's say uh, being a Cardinals fan, uh, Giovanni Gallego, someone who's been elite the past couple of years. Let's say he keeps his track up, and he's not really a closer, but he's not really going to get the stats. But he's still one of the the great. Let's say he does have that career and is one of the greatest uh, at the end. And we know that he probably won't get elected if he was uh, to be one of the best for 
10, 15 years down the road. Yeah. So I think, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And, and, I, and Dave and I have even talked about that a little bit on the podcast. It's, it's a little too early, even for Josh Hader. I mean, he's been the best reliever in baseball mm-hmm. since he came up, but he's a similar guy. You know, he's not going to, he's probably, he's, you know, almost for sure. He's not going to retire at top 10 in the in saves. Um, and he's not going to be necessarily top in any of the, you know, quantity volume categories that the starting pitchers will be in. So he's kind of an outlier. Um, and maybe, you know, his position is becoming a little bit more normal as of late, but I think, you know, he continues to put up the numbers he puts up for, you know, the next several years. I, I think he's, you know, deserving of the hall of fame, but I'm not sure he doesn't really have a path to follow. You know, he'd be, he'd be sort of trailblazing his own path as far as a relief pitcher to make the hall of fame without being that guy that at the end of the game, who you know, purely is just a saves kind of guy. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and it's I, there definitely needs to be a movement amongst the players to get these relievers the recognition they deserve. Um, so, I mean, you see in the all-star voting as well. Uh, no one, I mean, or just like an all-star games, only the closers get in pretty much. You don't really see the middle relievers that do well and dominate. Uh, they don't get, they don't get all-star love either. So, you know, we've had a lot of PED controversy. Maybe some of that is, is going by the wayside a little bit. Uh, with Bonds, Clemens, and Sosa all falling off the ballot uh, after their 10th turn. Uh, But looking ahead to next year's ballot, a little bit of a different controversy. We've got Carlos Beltran on the ballot, somebody who uh, really had a Hall of Fame career, but then in his his 20th and final year ends up in the middle of the Astro sign-stealing scandal. How do you think that impacts his candidacy? Do you think he still should get in? Uh, Do you think that he he will get in on his first ballot? And, And if not, will that be because of uh, the sign ceiling scandal what are some of your thoughts on Beltron for next year with the hall of fame yeah um i i honestly think the way the mlb handled the entire situation with with the weak fines and the the weak suspensions that david or that uh that um the hinge got and the astros received i really don't think there's an issue i think the writers are probably just going to overlook that knowing the writers association that not not one that anyone can really rely on to be consistent so uh i I think beltron i think he does i think i think we'll uh we'll see him if not first bout second definitely uh obviously when he played in st louis he was one of my favorite people to watch consistent guy put up numbers uh every single year even if it was quiet uh never really got credit for the uh dominance in center field I mean, I, I, he's a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that the, um, in his last season, it happened to uh, be his most memorable season. And uh, he wants another player that's been punished pretty much. I mean, lost the Mets job, was forced to resign uh, from managing the Mets. And um, I, honestly, I honestly think he's, he's uh, served his punishment. And uh, I think we'll see him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I do hope eventually he he is elected. I don't think that's something that should keep him out. Uh, but then again, I think a lot of us feel the same way about Pete Rose, who's been very unfairly um, punished, in my opinion, as well. So we'll see how the writers um, choose. I mean, it's you know anyone's guess how they react to some of those things at times. So final question here before we let you go, Will. Uh, big Cardinals fan, I know. Uh, grew up, you said, in, in St. Louis. Fangraphs, currently Brewers projected to have 88 wins next year and take the NL Central. Cardinals 83 wins. Nope. So so sell me on this. Why 83? Are the Cardinals division? 83. 
That's that's bad. Okay, we all know the the NL Central. They beat up on each other. Both te- both the Brewers and Cardinals are going to be ninety plus winning teams. Um, why I think the Cardinals will will do better? Um, well, I don't think I'm not sure because we got a we got um, our new manager Marmol. Uh, is it Marmol? I I'm so yeah, out of it with the lockout. No, yeah. Yeah, I was I was like, what have we done? Uh, our our front office is is kind of atrocious, so it's frustrating at times. Um, we had a new manager, so luckily he's been in our in our system for a while. Um, but I I think I think as long as they stay healthy, obviously, I mean, healthy is for every team key to every team's success. Um, you got Tyler O'Neill coming off the best season of his life. Harrison Bader um, coming into his own. Finally showing us uh, how good of a player he is. Um, Tommy Edmonds, someone to sleep on. Uh, he's proven me wrong time and again with clutch hitting. Even though during you know random days and in, in the summer he'll go over five in the clutch games, he'll go three for three. Uh, we saw that in the wild card game. He was pretty much the only one that produced uh, for St. Louis. And um, our bullpen's usually always tops in MLB. Uh, our starting pitching. We need to get another pitcher. Uh, I'm not sure how much longer we can rely on Adam Wainwright. <laughs> and, right. Um, uh, Adam Wainwright surprised me this year for sure. Had a fantastic uh, season last year. Uh, Flaherty needs to stay healthy. I mean, healthy again. Uh, but yeah, we got the best. I think we had the best young outfield in baseball with O'Neill, Bader, and Carlson. Carlson's going to be a, uh, I think he's going to be a 3,100 guy eventually. And of course, we got our two stars in Arenado and Goldschmidt at the corners with the best defense in baseball. And even though Yachty's close to his 40s, I mean, he's. I wish we would find a catcher, but I know uh, pretty much Yachty farewell train. Uh, he'll. I think he'll be fine. He'll be a replacement level guy, but he'll he'll still be the leader that we need to uh, round up the young guys. Yeah, I was gonna say replacement level uh, statistically, but I, I know his value is obviously much beyond that. Yeah, Adam Wainwright's year last year was was uh, shocking to say the least. It was impressive to see you know the success he had last year. You know, probably not a Hall of Fame guy. Forty four wins above replacement, one hundred eighty four wins. Does have a career ERA of three point three five. Um, of course, started in that bullpen role, but, you know, pretty cool, pretty fun uh, duo to watch. Obviously, Wade Wright and Molina, I'm sure it's been a fun time as a Cardinal fan to to watch Not those fun if play. you're a Brewer fan. <laughs> yeah, most <laughs> definitely. Uh, it's, it's been great. I'm going to miss them when they're both gone, which is probably the end of this year if we have a season. If, you know, MLB and the Players Association can, you know, figure things out, that's a, a whole different conversation. But uh, absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm, I hope we have the season. I know we're going to. I just hope it's not delayed, so we can get the show on the road and uh, yeah, go watch our favorite teams play. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think we're kind of all in the same boat of just uh, nothing to do, but uh, hope and pray we get a season on time, and hopefully uh, they're able to get things figured out. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to be on here and join us again. Will Glover here, uh, our guest on today's podcast. You can find him at Piddle, P-I-D-D-L-E, on TikTok. Will, any final thoughts here before we let you go? Um, no, thank y'all for uh, having me on and uh, looking forward to maybe doing this again in the future. All right, sounds good. We'll, we'll, see, you, uh, we'll see you near the bottom of the, of the NL Central this year then. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll see about that. I think Cardinals Brewers one and two. 
All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, fun to have Will on the podcast and uh, banter back and forth about the Hall of Fame. Interesting takes that he's he's got. Mark McGuire, not somebody that I hear often mentioned as a, a noteworthy candidate for the Hall of Fame. Uh, but I did like your comparison to Roger Maris. Uh, he didn't quite have the tenure that that McGuire had. Any big takeaways that you had, David? Yeah, I thought the McGuire was interesting too. Uh, and of course, he's he's no longer on the ballot. He he had his time there and he he fell off. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to see someone like Andy Pettit. We've seen that group of starting pitchers a little bit underrepresented. Of course, we've got Randy Johnson and Maddox and Pedro all as as three of the best ever do it, clear-cut Hall of Famers. But beyond that group, there's Roy Halladay. And there's really, I mean, at least not not that comes to my mind, uh, guys that are, that are uh, of the caliber of Hall of Fame level. Um, if there are guys that are in the Hall, like, maybe Piazza or Pudge or Bagwell, uh, who have used PEDs or, or potentially, um, is that something that we say it would maybe is a one-time thing and and let's let Pettit in the Hall of Fame or let's, I mean, of course, it's, it's a group decision or uh, an individual decision with the group of writers, but is it possible that then enough make up their mind to vote him in? I think he, I think his his case deserves a stronger look than what he's been given. I would agree. I, I actually will go, I don't know if it's going out on a limb, but I'm, I'm actually going to make the prediction that Andy Pettit will end up in the Hall of Fame, but I'm going to make the, the prediction that he will do so in the Veterans Committee at some point in the next couple of decades, depending on when he ends up landing there. Because he's a guy, of course, was on that good Yankees uh, team run that they really had together, of course, with Mariano, Derek Jeter, and A-Rod on that team, or even throwing Posada, of course. Um, so a very noteworthy team, multiple World Series champion, obviously one of the best pitchers of all time in the playoffs. We all know that as well. So I think when you add up the you know the World Series titles, being on a good team, the clutch factor, however you want to rate that, I, I actually do think he will be elected, but I don't know that I necessarily would vote for him myself, given that I would agree he's kind of a fringe guy. And when you throw the PEDs in there, to me, that makes it a, a relatively easy decision that I personally wouldn't vote for him. But I do see him actually being elected via the Veterans Committee because we do see some guys, different guys that, that get in just purely based off of completely different voters in that process. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he's more of a likable person than um, than Bonds or Clemens or A-Rod or, or Sammy Sosa. And while that shouldn't really play into the Hall of Fame, it's not one of the criteria, you know, the character clause, sure, but that, that's not really talking about how likable they are as a person, but it is going to subconsciously um, maybe seep into the minds of the voters, whether in the, the writers or the Veterans Committee. I agree 100%. And Pettit, Pettit uh, owned up to it after the fact, um, I think more than anybody that I can remember of note, you know, a lot of players either just constantly denying it, even players who tested positive denying it. Of course, unfortunately, we know Ryan Braun, the way that he handled his situation as well um, in a similar fashion. So for Pettit to own up to it more than others, I 100% agree that that may make a slight difference. And for somebody that's that close on the border, that, that could be something that impacts uh, whether or not he is Cooperstown bound. So we've, we've talked about some hot button topics here with the Hall of Fame, of course, the PED guys, um, Andy Pettit, relief pitchers, which is kind of an interesting one. We might get into that a little bit here. But we want to go through our personal Hall of Fame ballots. Uh, believe it or not, we do not have votes. We are not Baseball Writers of America. But if we did, we, we wanted to share our uh, selections. And I'll go first. I've got seven players on my ballot, David uh, maxing it with 10. Uh, my seven players for this year's ballot would be 
uh, David Ortiz, of course, the lone elector uh, to the ballot today, uh, excuse me, for this year. And then Billy Wagner, Joe Nathan, Kurt Schilling, Scott Rowland, Andrew Jones, and Todd Helton rounding out that list of seven players. David, you've got those same seven players on your ballot as well, but you've got three additional players. Who are those three players that you also see worthy of heading to Cooperstown? Uh, well, perhaps I just included them so we can add a little bit more debate than we've already had. But Bonds and Clemens, I have the two of them on my ballot. And the last member of my ballot is actually Jimmy Rollins, someone who really hasn't garnered a ton of conversation, conversation. surrounding his candidacy for the Hall of Fame. But somebody that had a, an extremely decorated career. Uh, and, and I guess if you want to talk about Rollins, you said that you wanted to talk about whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. You clearly didn't have him on your ballot. So what is it that you wanted to ask me about Jimmy Rollins? Yeah, I mean, Rollins had you know a very solid career, of course, uh, manning the shortstop position for the Phillies. Career wins above replacement, 47.6, a 324 on base percentage, uh, 95 OPS plus, so slightly below average, but above average for that shortstop position. He was a three-time All-Star. He won the MVP award, won a World Series with the Phillies, four-time Gold Glover. Like you said, I would say a very decorated and balanced career from a guy who was one of the best in the game, um, you know, probably one of the better middle infielders of his time. But I don't know that you know, that his numbers total up to a Hall of Fame. He wasn't a guy, you know, who put up the big offensive numbers for the most part besides a couple um, really strong years from him um, and did play very solid defense. You know, I don't want to discount that four-time goal glover and, again, manning that shortstop position. So I don't mean to discount his career. He obviously had um, some excellent, excellent seasons in 2007, of course, being that MVP season, um, had an 875 OPS, 119 OPS plus. Actually had 30 home runs that year and 20 triples, uh, which is a lot of triples to have in a season, uh, playing all 162 games for the Phillies in 07. Um, so again, not to discount his career, 17 years, again, uh, 15 of those coming in Philadelphia. But to me, he's just not quite to the caliber of a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and of course, of course, I disagree with you. I, I included Rollins on my ballot. Uh, one thing that I wanted to note is actually as far as the accomplishments go, uh, you know, I may I may get caught in a little bit of fire for this one from some of our, our Brewers listeners, but the accomplishments are similar to that of Robin Younts, a three-time All-Star. Rollins won one MVP, Young, of course, winning two, but Rollins also led his team to the World Series championship in 08. Young never won. Uh, and Yount did have a better career than Rollins. I, that's not the case I'm making it. And Yount is considerably above the, the lower standard for the Hall of Fame. He's, he's one of the better shortstops that we've ever seen. But Rollins, in addition to the MVP, he also, um, he also had the gold gloves and the, the silver slugger. He stole 470 bases over his career. He was an excellent base runner. Uh, not only could he steal bases, but um, would uh, could, could really change the game with the way that he ran, uh, not unlike many of his other Phillies teammates, especially think of uh, Chase Utley and kind of the, the all-around baseball player that, that Chase Utley was. Rollins was no different than that. Uh, he, he could impact the game with his glove. We talked about how he was a, a great defender, but uh, also, and of course, I didn't watch many of Jimmy Rollins' games, and even when I did, I was a little bit on the younger side, but uh, even just listening to what other people had to say about Jimmy Rollins while he was a player, he was always in the right spot. He was always uh, getting the cutoff in the right spot, making the perfect throw. Even though he wasn't the most physically gifted player, 
He was about the most fundamentally sound player you could have as, as sure-handed as they get at shortstop. And he was a leader as well on a team that they won one World Series in 2008. Uh, they made it to the postseason a number of times. They, they lost in 2009 as well and won over 100 games in 2011. And he really was a leader on that team, uh, the Phillies, for those years. And I think that has to count for something. I think that that has to be taken into account more than just the wins above replacement or the OPS plus. Yeah, what about, uh, I, I'm looking for obviously some guys that we could maybe compare to either in the Hall of Fame or out. Uh, Alan Trammell, of course, in the Hall of Fame, Barry Larkin, both in the middle infielders. Uh, I think they had a pretty clear, at least in my opinion, had, had better careers than Rollins. But a couple guys who are not in the Hall of Fame um, at the time being, but maybe show some similarities. Nomar Garcia-Para, six-time All-Star, two-time batting champion, uh, rookie of the year as well, primarily spending his, you know, 14-year career with Boston. Uh, similar as far as wins above replacement, um, just a few wins above replacement, lower than Rollins at 44, um, and an OPS plus of 124. So a better offensive player than Rollins over the course of his career. Uh, of course, Garcia-Para never winning an MVP but Rollins did play a little bit better defense. So, I don't know, he's a guy that, that's kind of similar. Even Troy Tulowitzki, uh, who, you know, just you, you give me his name off the top of my head, I would say, no, there's no way Tulowitzki is, is a Hall of Famer. I'm not saying he necessarily is, but in the same ballpark, also 44 and a half wins above replacement, 118 OPS plus, and he was a five-time All-Star, two-time gold glover. So, I don't know that he's too much far behind Jimmy Rollins besides perhaps the, the MVP award and the World Series champion. Yeah, it's a couple of interesting comps that you make to Rollins. And I do believe that the peaks of those three players are all actually pretty comparable. Uh, Nomar, I think, was a little bit different. He had a lot of other stars around him in Boston. And he actually got traded in 04 when they ended up winning the World Series. He got traded midseason. So he wasn't actually there when they won. Uh, it, as far as the uh, the winning argument goes, uh, Rollins, I, I, would, I would have the leg up. But I think the big difference there is Rollins played 800 more games than Nomar and 1,000 more games than Troy Tulowitzki, even though the, the number of seasons that they played was comparable. Rollins was there day in and day out. Uh, only one time during his, his peak 15 years did he play less than 135 games in a year. Um, that came in 2010 when he played just 88. Uh, he came to bat almost 800 times in 2007, an unheard of number. Uh, he was about as durable as they get even into his mid-30s. And I think that that, that that is the difference between Jimmy Rollins and Nomar Garcia-Parra and Troy Tulowitzki. That's an interesting point you, you bring up. Uh, like I said, I, personally, I don't think any three players are uh, to the level of Hall of Fame. I wouldn't vote for either of the three. But uh, I think when I try to make a comparison to uh, two guys that are, you know, same position, uh, aren't in the Hall, I think those guys line up uh, pretty well. Nomar, actually, fun fact, was drafted by the Brewers in the fifth round in the 1991 draft. Uh, out of high school, uh, returned to college, and then eventually drafted 12th overall by the Red Sox. So fun fact for you, I was actually not aware of that. Nomar Garcia-Para initially drafted by the Brewers. Looks like David, I even got a, you learned something new, which is not easy is if you true. know David. Maybe we so, could have made that the uh, trivia question last week instead of the uh, the player with the first U last name. U surname, Tim Tim Monroe. You, you didn't like yeah, the Tim Monroe yeah. reference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so we talked a lot about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens uh, with Will, obviously, here on the podcast. I don't know that we need to cover it too much more. Um, but, David, of course, you having Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Um, if it's all right, I want to actually jump to 
uh, a player that we touched on briefly earlier, which is Joe Nathan. The relief pitcher's position, as I mentioned earlier, I think is very um, underappreciated in the Hall of Fame. I think there's many players that are missing um, in that. Of course, Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman in the Hall of Fame. But we take a look at the top 10 leaders all time in saves. Again, Rivera and Hoffman, one and two. Lee Smith, Francisco Rodriguez or K-Rod, John Franco, Billy Wagner, Dennis Eckersley, Joe Nathan coming in at number eight again with 377 career saves. Craig Kimbrell, of course, the active closer um, at number nine, closing in on Nathan just five saves away. And then finally, number 10, Jonathan Papelbon. Uh, what are your thoughts on the relief pitcher? I, again, I know we touched on this some, but both of us have Joe Nathan on the ballot. So what do you see as far as why Joe Nathan would be uh, deserving of the election? Well, his run as one of the best closers in baseball was – uh, he was probably second to Mariano Rivera, may maybe third to Trevor Hoffman in his peak years from about 2003 to 2009. And he had a few more really good years beyond that into the early 2010s with Texas. Uh, he He's a top 10 closer to me uh, of all time. And, and Will, our guest, came on earlier and, and was saying that, uh, that if you're a top 10 player at, at any position, that you're a Hall of Famer. And I would, I would generally agree with that. I think Nathan's even maybe uh, pushing in on around five or six all time uh, as far as his success. But I think he got overshadowed. He, he spent, must have, mo spent much of his career in Minnesota, a little bit in Texas, um, on some, some teams that were decent but not amazing. Uh, he wasn't in the spotlight like Mariano was. And, of course, Mariano boosted his, his stock or his, his uh, legacy in October. But Joe Nathan didn't really get that much of an opportunity, um, especially because when he was with the Twins, they would they never you know they never had a lead in the ninth inning to uh, protect since they were always losing to the Yankees. I think that streak started in 2004 uh, since the Twins have won a playoff game, which happened to be his first year in Minnesota. So as a result, he doesn't get the national recognition. He didn't have the 102 mile an hour fastball um, or or the cutter that Mariano had that was legendary. The Trevor Hoffman changeup. But he was a very steady reliever, very steady closer, who ended up, when his career said and done, is uh, really one of the best to ever do it. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, Craig Kimbrell, a similar number of saves, a better ERA. Uh, Joe Nathan, 2.87 career ERA. Kimbrell, 2.18. Uh, very similar across the saves. But Nathan's pitched about 300 innings more than Kimbrell. Uh, interesting to see... You know, Kimbrell, maybe a, a Billy Wagner-esque um, comparison, I guess, I, I would maybe make, um, given the the smaller amount of innings pitched from him. But what, what do you think Kimbrell's chances of getting into the Hall of Fame are, you know, based on what we might expect from him over the next uh, second, or not second half, um, but on the closing chapters of his career? Well, I think Kimbrell, to really make it make him himself a, a clear Hall of Famer, uh, would have to have a couple a couple more good years. But I think that he's on pace to be a Hall of Fame level closer. He's had the dominance of Billy Wagner, someone who I think will get into the Hall of Fame over the next couple of years. Some one of the uh, I think he has three remaining years left on the ballot. Um, and Kimbrell's had that level of dominance. He probably won't re retire with the uh, the 600 saves or uh, quite that high of a number. But when you combine the dominance and the longevity that we you know, we're projecting him to have. Um, he has pitched 12 years in the major leagues now. So if he has even another five years at a, a pretty good closer's pace, 
he's someone that I think we're looking at as a, a clear Hall of Famer, potentially alongside the likes of uh, Kenley Jansen or maybe a role as Chapman. Yeah, one one more name that I don't know has ever been uttered under Hall of Fame consideration, John Franco. 21 seasons, uh, so uh, definitely a durable arm. 21 wins above replacement from him. Uh, spent a lot of years with the Mets. Over 1,245 innings pitched, which uh, puts him fourth uh, among, again, the, the or I guess, fifth if you include the top 20 relief pitchers as far as saves go. Um, again, 21, 21 seasons for him, a 90 and 87 career record, but a 2.89 ERA uh, for him and 424 saves. Certainly he had the volume. He's fifth all time in saves. And the ERA is not bad either, 2.89 uh, over the course of his career. I, I know that he's, I, like I said, I've never heard his name even muttered for the Hall of Fame, but is he somebody that we should be at least talking about or is he a veterans committee candidate that is maybe a bit of a long shot? Uh, you know, you bring up an interesting point because while I have seen his name on the all-time saves list, I've never really like seriously considered and his career ended before I was really following baseball. So he's not someone that was really on the radar of uh, me watching uh, the games. And, I, you know, I without without ever having seen John Franco pitch, uh, first of all, what I'd point to is the lack of strikeouts that he had. Uh, he only struck out about seven batters per nine, which is uh, one of the more, I'd say one of the uh, the more important parts of being a, a closer. Um, but when you do it over a 21-year year stretch, uh, you kind of prove that, you are still a very good pitcher if you do have an ERA in the upper twos. Um, you know, I, he's someone that I would probably have to look into his career a little bit more since uh, I, you are right that I, I haven't done uh, any John Franco Hall of Fame research, and especially with him being no longer on the ballot. Uh, but he's someone that, at least at, at first glance, it, someone who maybe doesn't lower the bar of, uh, of Hall of Fame relief pitchers, Hall of Fame closers, and somebody that maybe wouldn't be out of place in Cooperstown? Yeah. No, I, like I said, I, he's not somebody that's been brought up. I, I think he should be at least in the conversation for that 21-year career and, again, fifth all-time in saves. But I, we spend a lot of time, obviously, on relief pitchers. I want to touch on at least another player here before we leave, and that is Scott Rowland. Uh, Scott Rowland on both of our ballots – um, we would have selected him to be elected this year, of course, um, that not being the case for him. Spent his time um, across 17 seasons, uh, starting with Philadelphia, spending a good chunk of time with St. Louis and Cincinnati as well. So spent some, spent some time in the NL Central career, wins above replacement, 70 um, and a, you know, 316 home runs across his career. Rookie of the year, seven-time All-Star World Series champion, and also an eight-time gold lover. So a great defensive third baseman. Uh, what was your premise as to why Scott Rowland should be in the Hall of Fame? He was excellent on both sides of the ball. He's about as good as it gets as far as defensive third baseman. He made every play that you had to and then some. Uh, and he was a he was a very good hitter uh, as well. He's somebody who was very steady throughout his career. He's, he's not someone that was really flashy. He's not someone that put up you know, a monster uh, 10 war season, or at least not that I'm aware of. Um, but he, he, he played the game of baseball really well. You know, he played the game right, as probably many of his, his coaches um, probably said, uh, the old school baseball phrase. But it really is true. He played the game right. He was good on all facets. He was an excellent base runner as well. 
um, and, and was very fundamentally sound. I brought that up with Rollins. Um, but then in addition to that, you see his 316 home runs, over 2,000 hits, uh, 855 OPS, uh, over 100 stolen bases as well. And I think that it's pretty clear that we're looking at a Hall of Fame player, even if maybe while watching Scott Rowland, we didn't think Hall of Famer immediately, oh, immediately upon watching upon him play. Yeah, I always like to look at comparisons for both guys in the Hall of Fame and uh, not. You know, when I think about a, a defense, uh, excellent defender, um, some would say that the best defensive third baseman of all time, uh, Brooks Robinson, of course, who is in the Hall of Fame, 18-time All-Star, 16-time Gold Glove, MVP and two-time World Series champion, certainly has the accolades. Uh, but Roland may not have been quite the defender that maybe Brooks Robinson was. Um, but on the, at the same time, he was also a better hitter than, than Robinson. Robinson with 105 OPS plus and Scott Rowland 122 OPS plus. So that, that actually comparison alone uh, to me meant a lot when looking at those two guys because to me, Brooks Robinson is a very clear Hall of Famer. And when you really dive into the comparison between the two, you know, Roland's a little bit better of a hitter over his career. Robinson a little bit better of a defender. But both of those guys deserving um, as well. And another name, I, I know I threw John Franco out there. Uh, maybe this one isn't quite out as out of left field, but Ken Boyer, third baseman and center fielder, actually also with the Cardinals, uh, MVP, 11-time All-Star, five-time gold glover, and a World Series champion, 62.8 wins above replacement, 116 OPS plus. I might put him just a hair down below Scott Rowland, um, but, you know, was an All-Star every year from 1959 to 1964. Um, and again, I, an MVP in that 1964 season, uh, not to get us on, on a tangent, but I actually may even go to the point of saying that if, if Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer, which I, I think he is, um, not that Ken Boyer's on the ballot this year, but as I'm looking through guys um, who may compare, uh, he's somebody that I would consider voting for as well. Yeah, Ken Boyer actually was yeah. on the, um, the Golden Era ballot this year. Uh, in the Veterans Committee, and I think he did receive some votes, uh, and was I, I I believe he he got about fifty percent of the uh, sixteen votes, uh, so he fell a few short. He's one of those candidates that I think uh, I mentioned it about Franco, but I don't think he's somebody that makes the Hall of Fame worst by any means. I don't think that he's like a, an inner circle Hall of Famer by any means, but a player who uh, was a really good player and. I think was undervalued. I think that's pretty common with third basemen. They're, they don't get the defensive prowess of the shortstop or the center fielder, or even sometimes the second baseman, but they also have a more demanding position than the first baseman. And therefore their value is going to come a little bit more from the glove than another corner, uh, corner position. And I think as a result, they're overvalued, or excuse me, undervalued a little bit. Yeah, I, I would agree with that with that statement as well. I think they are. Um, and, and last last guy I will bring up is Ron Santo. Santo, of course, passing away in 2010, but being elected uh, posthumously in 2012 by the Veterans Committee. Again, I would say a relatively similar career uh, from Scott Rowland, a nine-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glover, 125 OPS plus across his career. So I, I thought that they had very comparable seasons uh, their wins of replacement are almost identical. So, again, uh, to me, all of those comparisons point to Roland being deserving, and I 100% would agree. Um, he certainly wouldn't lower the bar um, as far as Cooperstown third baseman. So, uh, I know we're, we've been running a little bit long on time today, but Todd Helton and Andrew Jones, uh, I'll let you decide on who you want to 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 highlight here as far as maybe which you would pick if you had to choose the two. I know you had both on the ballot, but either one that you want to share 
uh, your reasoning as to why you see them as deserving. I'll go with Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones was for 10 years, probably the best center fielder defensively that this game has ever seen. And he's someone that while doing that uh, across his career, a few more years uh, beyond that, where he was not a great player, but, um, but he did hit 434 career home runs, which is out of a center fielder, extremely impressive, um, all while being, uh, yeah, like I said, maybe the greatest center fielder of all time defensively, 10-time gold glover. Uh, and if you, you mentioned Brooks Robinson in comparison to Scott Rowland, um, Andrew Jones didn't quite have that, uh, that longevity as far as the career goes. But Andrew Jones is also someone that was a little bit better of a hitter than Brooks Robinson was and at a position that was maybe a little bit more demanding than his. Uh, he's someone that I think is a, a, a pretty clear Hall of Famer. And I think really what's what's keeping him out is the perception of his his peak ending already by about the age of 29. But he came up and was already basically a star by the age of 21, 2021. So I think if you move that peak back a little and, and have a little bit more of a normal career arc, um, he's someone that um, that would be already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and also in 2005, he was um, maybe the best, uh, the best defensive player in baseball and also hit 51 home runs. So I just wanted to highlight that as a kind of an absurd Andrew Jones stat where uh, may, uh, the, the peak is clearly there. And I think that's enough that he should get into the Hall. Yeah, certainly excellent peak from Andrew Jones. I, I think we could spend a couple hours on this. Uh, interesting stuff. I, I always love uh, the Hall of Fame. It, it's a really fun part of baseball. Uh, even the other sports that have the Hall of Fame, none, I think, uh, holds the same weight that baseball does with the Hall of Fame. So it, it's a lot of fun to break this down. We could probably spend a couple uh, episodes just going through the ballot on who we think in veterans committees, guys that are left out. I mean, there's there's guys from every decade, I think, that we could pull from and and would be well-deserving of a bid at the Hall of Fame. So we'll cut it off from there again. Um, our, our selections, uh, my selections, I should say, David Ortiz, Billy Wagner, Joe Nathan, Kurt Schilling, Scott Rowland, Andrew Jones, and Todd Helton. And then David having the controversial Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens added to his ballot, along with durable shortstop, as he would like to say, Jimmy Rollins uh, for his 10th player on the ballot. Um, so David, as we close out today's episode, let us, let's circle back to today's trivia question. What player amassed 219 hits over a single season and holds the Brewers record for most hits in a season? It's a good question uh, off the bat. Not one that I knew right away, which is the case for many of them. But my instinct, my gut feeling with this one is going to be Cecil Cooper. You know, I, I had a feeling you were going to pull this one off. Cecil Cooper does lead the Brewers all time. 1980. 219 hits from him. Number two, Paul Molitor, 216 hits in 91. Yount, 82. Uh, Cooper, 82. And then Braun, 2009. Uh, so when you look at, you know, the Brewers' history, uh, as far as single seasons go, only, what is that, three? Only seven players in Brewers' franchise history have hit over 200 hits in a season. Um, Cecil Cooper, Paul Molitor, Robin Yount, Ryan Braun, uh, and Jeff, I know Jeff Thrill, actually, just a hair under 200. So, um, just a few of those players um, reaching that 200 hits mark, and, and probably that, that number is probably not going to grow given the the surge that we've seen in in power hitting across the league. I, I, I was just scrolling across Baseball Reference records. Uh, I always forget about Chris Carter's 41 home run season, uh, which puts him 
up there in in highest what is that number yeah t- number seven in uh single season home runs uh ryan braun never hit more than 41 home runs in a season um either and he also uh chris carter played 161 games so he's also in the top 10 for most games played in a single season that's how bad the brewers roster was that chris carter got the nod 161 games out of the 162 um that season uh so i i don't know what what that's worth but and uh, just struck out about 320 times in those 161 games uh or so it felt Some- something like that he does he does have the franchise record for strikeouts 206 strikeouts um in 2016 that year that he hit 41 home runs uh kind of a the true home run strikeout hitter that people kind of will talk about um but he he certainly lived that up 158 career home runs um an interesting guy that the brewers you know, had just for that one year he he made a, i guess a relatively large splash in uh, in brewers franchise records both good and bad i guess so again, to wrap things up, Cecil Cooper, our answer to today's trivia question, 219 hits in 1980 for Coop. Random player of the day, Bill Hall, and his memorable Mother's Day walk-off home run. Few notes and additions to the Brewers. Jim Henderson, Matt Erickson, Ricky Weeks, Pedro Alvarez, and Josh Murr all added to the Brewers organization in one way or the other. Uh, we had a fun time with Will going through his thoughts on Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, A-Rod, all the big names in the Hall of Fame. I enjoyed having him on again. You can find him at Piddle on TikTok. And then we went through our Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, Really enjoyed the conversation. I think it was a really good podcast today. Uh, Just going through the relief pitchers, uh, very much underlooked third baseman, Scott Rowland. I think he's a very much under the radar player who is well-deserving of the Hall of Fame. Um, And again, taking some time off from our only Brewers content, which I think is, is a fun time to do with the Hall of Fame. We will be back again for our next episode, cover any new news that we have in baseball, go through uh, a look at the Brewers' farm system as well, um, the likes of uh, Bryce Turang, Garrett Mitchell, Sal Freelich, who David mentioned earlier, uh, should be a good podcast. So certainly tune in to next week's podcast. And Peter and David Go signing off. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.